Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized businesses and organizations by designing world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, helping keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. We're also really excited that we've launched the Captain Strategy course. This is a group-oriented session that we walk through our seven key principles to help create a strategic plan that will work for you. To learn more, once again, go to 40strategy.com. We usually do a little shout out before we recommend talk about our guests and like to thank Antoni Lassenai for the recommendation for today's guest. He was very kind to introduce us to Renata Klumska. She is an adventure and mountain climber. And this, what's really fun, you could find her on Wikipedia. She is born to Czech parents, having both the Swedish and Czech uh, citizenship. What's one of her most biggest milestones she's done is actually been the first Swede and Czech woman to climb Mount Everest. She's also performed the Around America Adventure, which we'll talk about a little bit more in detail. And most recently, she has been called the, uh, has been voted by people the 2003 Speaker of the Year. Renata, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We connected a while back, and I'm so excited uh, that we're finally getting to, because you are uh, a total inspiration to women, to moms out there, to frankly anyone. Um, your endurance and your ability to do extraordinary work is, for me, it's really inspiring. That's We, we have three types of humans that we've, we love to have in our podcast. Uh, a, we love to have CEOs and entrepreneurs. Two, we love to have authors. And three, we love to have like what I like to call extraordinary achievers. And Renata definitely feel, fits into that. So if you don't mind, let's go back, if you may, back in time to getting ready to climb Mount Everest for the first time. Okay. Why in the heck would you think of doing something that crazy? <laughs> and what got you the experience and confidence to be able to actually do that? Yeah. I mean, that's a very legitimate question uh, that I still kind of tend to get, even in Sweden when I meet people and do my talks and whatever, because I'm born and raised in the southern parts of Sweden where it's completely flat. <laughs> So it's not like I grew up with the mountains and, and, and winter. Uh, so to start climbing was, uh, was not very obvious. Uh, but I think that's what attracted me, that it was a challenge because I've always been drawn to putting myself in situations that I'm not sure how I will manage, if I, I will manage. And I love to learn new things and, and be in an environment where there's yeah, with new people and new cultures and new things to learn. But what actually made me take the step was I had just started to climb. I did a climbing course in 95. And then uh, shortly after, I got the opportunity to become base camp manager for a Swedish expedition that was on its way to Mount Everest. And I think, I mean, going to Kathmandu and to Nepal or and, and the Himalayas is a dream for many people. 
And when you get to base camp at the foot of Mount Everest, um, I mean, that environment in itself is, is magical in many ways, at least I think so. And you don't know how you're going to react. And for most people, I guess, they come there. And that's, I mean, that it's a hard trek just getting to base camp. And you kind of feel like, okay, I've had it. This is enough. I've seen this. I've experienced this. Uh, but for me, when I got there, I just felt I wanted more. I looked up at the ice fall. I looked up at the mountains. And I could feel that magnetism that attraction and I met other climbers that didn't look like I had imagined like you know big strong muscular hairy <laughs> eastern country put shutters <laughs> that I had envisioned they looked like you know the few women that I met I could identify with so when I looked at them and I figured if they can do it you know why couldn't I I prepare as much as they have so that's where my dream was born so from that moment you got on the base camp for the first time, how much more time, how long did it take for you to eventually get to uh, crest of Mount Everest? Well, from, from the day that I started climbing in uh, 95, it took me four years. Wow. Wow. So from I was in base camp 96, so three years. But okay. I also wow. had, I also had, um, a fantastic teacher and, and mentor and, and, and partner. And I mean, if you have somebody in your, uh, in your surrounding, in your team that, or a leader or boss or somebody who, or a colleague, um, somebody who has the experience, has the knowledge, has the know-how and they are generous and they can share their knowledge with you. And you are uh, a hungry and inspiring a person who wants to learn I mean you can do fantastic progress in a very short time which I did what was the when you when you started training what was some of the most difficult obstacles of you may physically and mentally that you had to overcome to help you have the confidence to actually climb it I mean, I knew I had to learn about high altitude. I think that was what I was mostly worried about because that is like actually something that you can't train uh, to. You have to just experience it and see if you have the ability to manage high altitude. It's said to be genetic and different people dif react differently to high altitude. So that was something that I was worried about and that was a big concern that I might actually not have that capacity and I uh, won't be able to to reach those altitudes um, otherwise I mean I knew it was going to be hard work uh, both mentally and uh, mostly mentally but for me I don't know but there's something about uphills that I like <laughs> I, I like the challenge again uh, I don't mind the hard work so besides the high altitude, which was something that I couldn't control. That's kind of out of my, uh, yeah, that's out of my control. So I figured if the other things, then if it's up to me, then I know I can make it. Of course, then you have the weather and, and there's other circumstances on the mountain that you can't control. But if it's, if I know, if I prepare as much as I can, then, then I felt confident that I can do it. Others had done it. Of course. Now, 
if you were at base camp for that long a period of time, you must have saw people having challenges or not being able to make the top or even perhaps injured or losing their life, right, during that period of time. How did that impact you? You know, when you saw that, when you saw, wow, this is this is pretty intense, right, in, in event. Well, 96, when I was there as base camp manager, uh, I mean, that's a, a very well-documented uh, season on in Mount Everest history. Uh, there's been books written about it, movies, uh, and because it was such a tragic year. Uh, I mean, more than 10 people died on the mountain, and many of those I had met. Uh, so I got a very brutal awakening and understanding of what can happen on a mountain. And for many people, maybe that would be a wake-up call, thinking I'm not going to do this, because it is. It, I mean, it is dangerous. There are apparent risks. But also I saw... I saw that some of it could have been avoided, uh, that not everybody were as prepared as they could have been. Uh, they didn't turn back in time. Uh, so I also realized that, that I have to prepare even more. I have to train even more. So I wouldn't say, I don't want to use the word grateful, but in a way I was thankful that I got to see that so early and didn't go into it with you know pink eyeglasses and kind of seeing everything with this pink shimmer thinking that it's it's all fun uh, so um, I got to see the the consequences of of going into it and not realizing what an uphill it actually is you mentioned something of that concept of turning back Right, that some didn't didn't have the the wisdom, right, to recognize that's time to turn back. I I think of all of us, right, no matter what we're climbing, business, something in our personal life. There's times where we have to know it's smarter to turn back than to keep on going. The dangers of moving forward is more dangerous at the moment, right? To come back, but you're there, right? You're so close, perhaps, right, to to getting to something. Was it ultimately? the the challenge that you saw that that really was life and death that helped you give that wisdom of you have to be wise enough to pull back when it's the right time i think it's about already from the beginning having set your goal what is my goal is it to reach the summit or is it to come back down alive and for me it's about coming back down alive and the summit is only halfway of course, I want to reach the summit, but I I still have 50% of the trip left. And I have to have even more energy left when I'm on the summit because I need to have all the focus and really make sure I don't make any mistakes on the way down. And many people end up in accidents on the way down because they relax, because they feel like they've done it. And um, then if you relax and you're not focused, you're going to end up making mistakes and you can't afford to make mistakes on Mount Everest so it was for me very much about what is my goal uh, where do I put my finish line and how do I preserve my energy to make it all the way and that of course affects the decisions that I have to take and if it means turning back then that's what I do 
because I still want to survive and the mountain will be there and I can always give it a second attempt. If I push it now, that's going to be the last thing I do. But of course, then it's hard when you're there, there and you have 100 meters left uh, and you think, uh, you know, it's just 100 altitude meters. Uh, it's not so far. But then you have to realize that that's 100 altitude meters. That's going to take you maybe two, three hours. And then you're going to be you know, on the summit way too late in the afternoon. But I had seen this. And I mean, Göran Kropp that I lived with, that was my climbing partner, uh, he had bicycled from Nepal, sorry, from Sweden to Nepal. He carried in all his gear to the base camp. And then he climbed without uh, supplementary oxygen. And on his first attempt, he turned back 100 meters from the summit. And uh, that takes a lot of willpower, but he knew that he would make a second. We'd have more chances. So I think I'm kind of raised. Uh, my climbing comes from that old school, from his school. So for me, turning back is, is it's always an option. I think that analogy of what you talked about there is, is it, it's not just getting to the top, but it's getting back down. Right. And I just think of so many times in our journeys of life, once again, whatever, however you're going to apply it, we focus on so much get to the top and we literally fall down. Right. Because we don't prepare. We're not aware we're, we're we can't handle the success of being there. And, and we relax and we don't realize it's sometimes harder. You mentioned that it's sometimes harder actually to descend, right, uh, safely than it is to get through. Um, you'd mentioned a couple of times here, your, your um, climbing partner that you had, uh, he was in a, the, the, I think it was called the crazy Swede in Into Thin Air, yeah. right, you know, into <laughs> yeah. that book. And uh, was really an incredible performance. Uh, human being you know that you knew and climber and, and did amazing events it was obviously trained you as well now you you move forward you climbed it so just for a minute here just finishing up the concept of mount everest so you finish you get back down so what was more exciting for you was it more exciting being at the top and getting that photograph and, and seeing being on top of the world or was it more exciting getting back down and finishing um, I mean, for me, I've, that's the question that I've have, you know, answered a few times, and I have a lot of time to think about it. And definitely, and it's, it's not that I actually have to think about it, because it's a very easy answer for me. I mean, if somebody would drop me off with a helicopter on the summit, and I would get that view, and standing there with a flag, um, or if, if I would do the entire trip and had to turn back just short of the summit, I would choose the journey any, any time of the day because that is, that's the challenge. That's what gives me uh, the knowledge, the experience. I mean, it's so much not the journey just out into the world. I learn so much about myself and interact with other people. And I mean, it is, it's, such a great school uh, for for yeah just learning about yourself um, and I would never get that by just you know having that final part uh, of course in the best of worlds you get both <laughs> but if I would have to choose I would definitely still do the journey knowing that I might not reach the top 
I would not say, okay, if I can't make it to the top, then I'm not going. No, I would miss out on on 95% of the journey. Okay, so moving forward here, you um, you decide, your partner decide, hey, we're going to take this around America adventure and and start um, climbing in the United States and doing different different projects. Tell us a little bit more about what that was about and, and why what was the purpose of all of that? Well, we did uh, obviously do a lot of climbing, but we also paddled a lot in our spare time and often combined climbing and paddling. And Joran uh, uh, had, you know, started to get uh, people uh, uh, getting to know him in the U.S. And we had sponsors in, in the U.S. and we kind of decided to move there and we wanted to discover the country in our own way. So uh, which other better way to discover the U.S. than, <laughs> than circumnavigated by your own strength? Uh, so that's the, kind of this plan started to, to shape. And then when Joran died, I decided to, to, to continue with the expedition and the plan because it was really a journey that I fell in love with or the idea of doing this journey was something that I really fell in love with. Um, I knew it was going to take a long time, but I just couldn't stop thinking about the project and, and completing it. Mm. And so how long did that take to go all the way through and to go through bicycling and kayaking? You know, how, how long was that entire journey? Uh, I was out <clears throat> in, it took me 14 and a half months to complete. So 439 days and 18,200 kilometers. <clears throat> so I started in Seattle and I ended in Seattle. So I did, yeah, both the Pacific coast uh, along the US-Mexican border, intracoastal waterway, Gulf of Mexico, around Florida, all the Atlantic coast and back again along the US-Canadian border. Wow. It's a wow. fantastic country. I guess in one way, I I can sometimes be a bit naive, but I think that's a strength, not always realizing what you're putting your, you know, getting into, because then you would just focus on all the obstacles. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't realize how huge <laughs> the lower 48 states are, because yeah, they're big. It's a it's a lot of lot of a lot of country to cross. <laughs> it is it is a big country for sure and and i i you know it's interesting i've of course been here my whole life and i still haven't been to all lower 48 states i've been close to it and you did it in you know a um you know basically a year a little over a year and a half period um which i think is incredible i, I have to ask and, and maybe this is an unfair question what was the most beautiful part of the u.s that you saw I mean, what I really love about the U.S. is that it's such a variation. I mean, every state, every part has its charm. Uh, uh, I love when we moved to Seattle, I really love that whole area with the Olympics, Mount Rainier, the Puget Sound, the coast. I mean, there's the Cascades, it's just fantastic. And the climate reminds me a bit more about Scandinavia because I do prefer a bit more, uh, yeah, when it doesn't get too hot 
so I kind of prefer the cold instead of, of, of heat. So, but even California and, and the southern parts of California and around Florida, even if it's warmer and Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, I mean, that had its charm. Um, the Atlantic coast. Um, and then up in Maine uh, around the Great Lakes. I mean, I can't choose. It's just I feel so fortunate to have been to have seen so much of it and uh, really appreciate the variation. I mean, the mountains, the rivers, the the plains, the deserts. It just has everything. And the people were so friendly. I mean, it kind of restored my faith in humanity in many ways. Um, I was very well received. That's neat. That's 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 amazing. So, so for many, and those two events by itself would be okay. We're done. Um, you know, meaning we've done enough, so to speak, right? And we've completed. And, and you did ultimately decide. You, you got married. You had a family. You have kids. Um, but then you you come back, right? You come back to climbing and. For many people probably thought you were crazy, right? To consider climbing again with family, right? Because there's more risk, you know, if you may. Um, tell me about that process of you getting back into climbing and dealing with what, if you may, people probably being not recommending, right? You to do it and actually saying it's 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 not wise to do it. How did you deal with with that negativity? And to overcome that, to actually continue doing what I, th I think for you, for me, once again, I think you, you are such an inspiration for, for moms and for women by what you've done since having children. So if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, I think firstly, I kind of decided that I will not have my children becoming an excuse for not doing, wanting to do what I love because my parents continue doing their I mean, that's where I have my, you know, love for the outdoors and uh, from my parents. And they continued even when they had me and my brother. So I know that it can be done. Of course, it, it's hard work and you have to adapt and you have to become even more efficient. And it, I mean, my backpack becomes twice as big because I have to carry everything for the kids. But I mean, for me, it's always been worth it because I've seen the benefits and I know what it's given me. Um, but I also realized how people would view it, um, especially when it comes to climbing, um, because people read about the accidents and, and uh, yeah, I guess that you think about that more. And then in other sports, although many sports, I mean, look at horseback riding, that's you can have accidents in whatever you do, but um, mountaineering is um, has. I've I've felt that there would be those questions, so I kind of did it easy for me. I didn't tell anybody that I was going. So when I decided to complete the seven summits, uh, very few people knew about it, just a handful of people, because I didn't want to face those questions. Uh, if I wasn't thinking about safety or how, you know, how I could leave children at home or whatever. And I just wanted to focus on climbing because I knew that the children were in, you know, they were having a good time. 
probably you know thinking it's fun to to be away from mother for a while or that you know just experience something else and and I could focus on on climbing and I was away for a very short period of time I mean people work you know have businesses and are away more than than I was on my expedition so but I just didn't tell anybody wow so so uh let's clarify and just make sure for the audience members so when you talk about doing the seven peaks was that the seven highest peaks in all seven continents is that is that the, yes, that's the legendary climbing project called the seven summits and I had done Everest um, and then I had done Kilimanjaro but I redid Kilimanjaro which I've done several times because I guided there but I decided to after 12 years of not climbing uh, I decided to I kind of have to just see how it feels to be on a mountain again if I you know if this is just a wild idea or if this is something that I really want to do even um, you know without Joran and if, if I'm in good enough shape and will I manage the altitude and everything so I went to Kilimanjaro uh, to just feel how it would be to be on a mountain after 12 years and it felt like coming home mm, wow wow Okay, so, and forgive me for not knowing what what are the seven tallest peaks in all the respective continents, and <laughs> and um, first, and then secondly, I want you briefly talk about Antarctica because that must have been incredible because so few people get even a chance to go down there. So, but first, go through the the seven. Obviously, Everest and Kilimanjaro. What, what are the other uh, seven? So you five? have uh, so you have uh, North America, which is. Uh, Denali up in Alaska then you have South America which is Aconcagua in Argentina you have um, you ha well you have continents uh, you have Australia is a continent but when it comes to seven summit it's it's also included uh, parts of um, uh, um, Indonesia and Papua New Guinea so then you have Oceania and then you have on Punta Jaya there's um, uh, there is a mountain called Karsten's Pyramid. Um, then you have Europe, which is Elbrus, and then Winston on Antarctic. Got it. Okay. So I'm curious, and once again, I know each one is his own different journey. What was outside of Everest? Let, let me go to that. Outside of Everest, what was the most difficult technical climb outside of Everest? Um, well, to be completely honest, I mean, neither of those mountains are known for it's that they're the most technical mountains to climb. Um, but uh, it's it's again, it's in some cases, it's the altitude. In some cases, it's just getting there, which is a challenge like Winson. <laughs> I mean, just getting to the Antarctic is in some ways harder than actually uh, getting to the mountain uh, so it's it's they have all their different challenges um, and some people underestimate Aconcagua because it's you think about it that it's just below 7,000 meters but it should be thought of as an 8,000 meter peak uh, so that's they have and that's what I love about the seven summits that they're so different all these mountains and but with which one would be the most technical? Well, that would be Karsten's uh, pyramid, because that's a mountain where you actually do rock climbing. I mean, it's 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 technical in that sense, uh, but also a lot of fun. Wow. 
Wow. That, that sounds absolutely incredible. So um, in when you were in Antarctica, I mean, how long, that seemed like that would take a while, right? To get there, to get first, I mean, you're, you're first of all, completely on their side of the world, your home, right? <laughs> so you got to start no, with I was that. Actually, no, I was actually, I, I did uh, Aconcagua and uh, uh, Winston back to back. And okay. I did the five mountains that I had left. I did fall of 2014. So I did one mountain per month to kind of be able to make it faster because um, I didn't want to spend too much time away from home and I wanted to you know stay acclimatized so that was one of the reasons why I decided to to do them so quickly so I went from Antarctic from Aconcagua directly to um, to Mount Winson and did you get through any of those without any significant injuries? I mean, if you, I can imagine you got through, or did you have injuries along the way as you're going through those travels? All fingers and toes left. <laughs> That's good. That's perfect. Okay, so one of the things um, I, I'd love you to talk about, you just did recently did a challenge of, of getting up in the morning and walking. And this is how you attribute yourself to i think mentally and physically staying in shape all these years you have this i think something you do consistently i'm not sure if it's every day you do it why don't you talk about this habit this often daily habit that you do to just get yourself up keep mentally motivated um and you found actually was really critical and helpful for you to ultimately get back to my own climbing well for me it's um, it's very much about having time to well first of all being physical act, physically active that's so fundamental for me uh, to uh, I don't necessarily have to feel that like I'm you know super strong or super fit but I want to feel um, healthy and I want to feel that my body is you know responding in, in the way that I wanted and to kind of keep well, I guess kind of a, a good low, a good, you know, the, not falling underneath a certain um, fitness level, but I don't want to spend four or five hours in the gym every day. So then it comes down to consistency, to actually doing something every day that still works with how my life looks with the running business and, and having kids and wanting you know to have time with friends and, and all that. Um, so I started, I've always been much more of a morning person. So I started, I've always trained more in the mornings, but to kind of fit that, um, to not, um, if I had booked a, a lunch workout, then there was so often that I didn't do it because some meetings got prolonged or whatever. So I decided I really have to do it in the mornings to know that I get it done. And um, so I get up at 03, uh, 3.50 in the morning and I go out and do my power walk, as I call them. And that's because I have weights on, which is a great way to add um, resistance and I often walk and when I do my guiding or whatever I have a backpack on so this is kind of also to be prepared to have that extra weight and I walk for 45 minutes up to an hour and besides that physical activity just to be outdoors 
in nature uh, and to have alone time for myself and for my thoughts and to be able to reflect, uh, to be able to go through a presentation or go through a meeting or just go through, you know, whatever feelings and emotions might come up is a fantastic way to to clear my head, my thoughts, to recalibrate and to prepare for, for a new day. And then I come home, I wake my kids, I have my morning with them. And then I've already had like four hours of, you know, <laughs> I'm four hours ahead when everybody else wakes up. <laughs> That's amazing. And you, re I, I know you recently, this is one of those things you challenge people from time to time, right? To get up early in the morning, do this workout and and but it's it's for you once again it's a great way to i love that mentally and physically you're consistent with it and and you have you carry it i think one of the differences from a lot of other people is you carry some resistance some a body pack weight you know to effectively help uh to make it tougher if you may right you no know, more a little bit more difficult than typical so let's I'm just kidding. go ahead sorry oh go ahead please no but to i mean to do to be physically active, I mean, it's it's scientifically proven that we're going to be more, we're going to feel better with ourselves if we are active. And it can be 30 minutes per day. And I think not everybody can afford, you know, going to the gym and buying expensive equipment. But if you're out walking, power walking, you need a pair of comfortable shoes. You can do it anywhere you know, in the city, and there's actually no room for excuses. It's about getting up 30 minutes earlier per day, and that's going to make you feel and perform so much better. And of course, it's also about, about discipline and to discover that you can do it. Uh, it's a mindset. It's about attitude. And uh, to get that response from people, like now when I had the Renata challenge, uh, that, you know, sometimes they need somebody just to nudge them and to to give them that extra carrot and to to have somebody to do it with and then hopefully they've discovered uh, how well they feel afterwards and then they continue by themselves i love it i love this i love the concept of the simplicity of it but at the same time the can the need to be consistent right and to help move forward and and i've got to imagine you're walking it's pretty much dark every single time, right? Um, except perhaps certain times of the year. So you just get used to, do you have a headlamp that you use typically? I have a headlight. Yeah. yeah, I have a headlight, yeah. <laughs> and, and up in Sweden, there's no excuses. There is a lot of snow and ice, you know, a good yeah. time of the I mean, year it, that you have up there, right? No, yeah, you can't blame it on the weather. I mean, it's um, it's it's how it is. It's those circumstances that you can't, you can't control, but you can control your mindset and your attitude. And this is a great way to, to give that a workout because that needs to be trained as well. We're not everybody born with it. For some people, it is a bigger uphill. Um, some people love physical activity like me. For some people, it's a struggle. But if, you're, if you do it for a long time enough and you see the benefits, then it, it becomes a routine. And eventually I think you can't not do it. I mean, if I really, if I have a very intense period of, and, and, I'm, tra and I'm traveling a lot, uh, I don't do my morning walks. I can feel it in my energy level that uh, I don't, I mean, it's one thing being tired 
physically from doing a, an exercise, but mentally I get charged. I get more energy. Uh, if you're lying on a coach, you're going to get bored, tired both mentally and physically. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I love the story. Now you do more once again than just mountain climbing and walking and kayaking. You once again, you are uh, you're married. You have children um, that you're doing through this. I'm single, but also, actually. what's that? Excuse me. I'm single. <laughs> I've never been married. I was the, the kids have a father, but we never were married, and we have separated since ten years. So I'm alone. Forgive me for that, Renata. Um, so, um, so on on from the part when it comes to uh, and a little FYI here, I'm going to actually take that out. So a little little yeah, note there. Sure, <laughs> so sure. so no problem. Um, going though, I just want to get a minute or two. You you speak and you have a business. So if you can share with us what that is, tell us the audience what you typically speak about and, and what your business that you do on a regular basis. Well, for me, my adventures, one could say that those are investments. I mean, I've, of course, I get fantastic experiences and I get to see a lot and, and learn a lot. But for me, it's an investment in that way that when I come home, I, uh, I, that's when I have to uh, take all those experiences and make it actually into something that today is my business. Uh, and when it comes to doing motivational speaking and different speaking engagements or if it's about sponsors and endorsements and testing different fabrics and new materials or new gear for the outdoors. Um, so the base is the experiences and the knowledge that I gained during my expeditions that I transfer in or transform into, into a business where other people can benefit from those experiences and that knowledge. That's awesome. Renata, how can people connect and learn more about you? Uh, just like anybody else, I'm available on social media, even if that's not my forte. <laughs> I'm working on it, but I'm both on uh, yeah, Instagram and on, on Facebook. I have a website, uh, so I'm available there too. Uh, so there's a bit more to read about me and my projects and what I do. Yeah, no, if you are out there and you want to learn more about Renata, um, I highly encourage you to go out there. She is a huge inspiration, a great speaker, somebody you should consider if you're looking on the speaker tour. As, as we mentioned, she's most recently has been speaker of the year, and she is an extraordinary individual. Renata, thank you so much for being a guest on the Measure Success podcast. Thank you so much, Carl. Pleasure. And to everyone else is listening, I once again, I just hope you've enjoyed uh, this wonderful podcast in person, more importantly, with Renata. Um, her story is incredible, and I'm motivated. I'm excited to tell my oldest uh, daughter, Ashley, um, and I'm going to share it with them ahead before it, it goes out because they're getting ready to do the, the Camino walk uh, to walk 500 miles. And um, I'm hoping this could be a bit of motivation to them before they finish that. So once again, thank you, Renata. And to everyone else who's listening, as always, we wish you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.
you love podcasts. The stories, the laughs, the unexpected turns. But when this episode ends, the silence starts. Not anymore. Audiobooks.com turns that silence into your next great adventure. With over 450,000 titles, from bestsellers to hidden gems, your love for listening just found its new best friend. And because you already know the joy of audio, we're giving you three free audiobooks to start your journey. Imagine your favorite podcast, now with unlimited episodes. That's audiobooks.com. Keep the story going. Sign up for your free trial at audiobooks.com slash podcast free today. Because for podcast lovers like you, the end of an episode is just the beginning. That's audiobooks.com slash podcast F-R-E-E.